Hi, this is Jim Lebedo, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On our program tonight is Peter Bregman. He is the CEO of Bregman Partners Incorporated, a global management consulting firm who advises CEOs and their leadership teams. He speaks, writes, and consults about how to lead and how to live. He is the author of several books, and in his spare time, he is a blogger for business publications such as Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, and Forbes Magazine. Today, we're a pleasure to have Peter on our program because we're talking about his book, 18 Minutes, Find Your Focus, Master Distraction, and Get the Right Things Done. Peter, welcome to the program. Thanks. Nice to be here. Peter, in doing my research for the program today, I understand the book is actually based off a blog you wrote. Yeah, it did. You know, it, it actually even came before the blog. The blog came from my own struggle with managing my own time. I, uh, you know, I'm not a guru from on up high that descends graciously from my perch up in heaven to share my wisdom and then return to my perfect life. Uh, I'm, I'm messy. I, there's a lot that I struggle with in terms of managing my own time, in terms of getting things done. And I had really spent uh, far too much time working hard and not getting traction on the things that were most important to me. And, and that's the struggle that I was really facing. So I read a tremendous number of time management books. And what I found ultimately is that they all bought into the same myth, which is the big myth of time management. Okay. And that myth is that if you only work harder, create a better system, label your folders in a certain way, that you will get it all done. And I think that's a damaging myth, and I found it not to be true in my own life, that in my attempt to get everything done, the wrong things fell through the cracks, the things that were most important to me, the things I valued most, the things where at the end of a year I would look back and say, wow, that was really great. I got, I got the stuff done I needed to get done. Those are the things, the challenging things that often fell off my plate in favor of, you know, surfing the Internet or buying running sneakers. And so... Ultimately, I had to solve this problem for myself, and I just did a lot of trial and error to say, what, what can work? And I started with the basic premise, I'm not going to get it all done. There are things that I want to do now that I will not be able to get done. Well, for a part of our audience, which I would say would be uh, the leaders of companies or organizations or entrepreneurs, that's a little disheartening. I mean, don't we expect to get everything done? You know, you, we absolutely we expect to get everything done, and we've been told that we can get everything done. And, in fact, you know, that's the big American promise in some ways, that, you know, you can have it all. And it's just ultimately not true. And for leaders and entrepreneurs, those are the people for whom it is most important for them to recognize. For us, I'll say, I'll put myself in the same category, because I'm both a leader and an entrepreneur that it is most important for us to recognize that. And I would actually venture to bet that we are the people, the leaders and the entrepreneurs, who understand this better than anybody because we deal with limited budgets. 
we deal with limited time. We deal with having to make trade-offs that everyone in our organizations want to accomplish everything that's interesting to them, and we need to be a deciding factor to say, you know what, we're not going to put our resources in this place right now because that other place is the smarter, uh, more profitable, better return on investment place to put our resources. And, and it's the same with money as it is with time. It's a limited resource. We're all a limited resource. You, Jim, are a limited resource. You can only interview so many guests. You can only work on so many things. You can only read so many books. So you have to make a decision as to which are going to be most useful to you. And unfortunately for many of us, these decisions are happenstance. We happen to get the book that's on our desk and read it and then decide if we want to do something with it. Well, I'm suggesting that, that the, the smartest, most important, most strategic decision we can make is where we're spending our time and what we're going to focus on and what we're not. And as a result of that, we have to both decide what we're going to do, and even more importantly, we have to decide what we're not going to do. That's probably the most important decision that we can make is what am I not going to spend my time on. Peter, I rarely do this, so uh, bear with me. I'm actually going to uh, read something directly from your book, okay? In your book, you write, uh, and I'm going to quote here, most books on time management start too late and end too early. They start how to manage your to-do items and end up with a plan to organize and accomplish all those to-dos. But that's too late to start because if you haven't made deliberate strategic choices, about where you should and shouldn't be spending your time, where you should and shouldn't be spending your life, so that you make the best use of your gifts, it is likely that many of the things you accomplish will be the wrong things. In other words, you'll waste your time and your life, though you'll be very efficient as you do. Peter, very well said. And here's my question. It appears that it's so tough for people to answer this question, and the question is, what do you want to do in your life? In your experience, why does that appear to be such a tough question? You know, it's hard because we hate the trade-off. We hate to say to close off opportunity. We, if I decide I'm going to do X in my life, it means I'm not going to, or if I'm going to be X in my life, it means I'm not going to be Y and I'm not going to be Z. And what if that decision is wrong? You know, again, think as a leader or an entrepreneur, what if we make a strategic choice as to where to spend our limited resources and we decide to pursue one service or product and not another, and it turns out that that one's failed and the other one would have been a massive opportunity. We hate the idea. We have huge aversion to missing out on those kinds of opportunities. And so, you know, we'd rather have a lot of balls in the air and hope that one of them picks. It's the, it's the sort of um, venture capital view of time, which is invest in a whole lot of things, and some of those will pan out. Well, if you invest in, it's not a bad idea if you invest in the right number of things, but if you invest in too many things and you're too diluted and you lose your focus, you end up making poor decisions. So I think it's hard. It's hard because we have to give something up because my message isn't you can have it all. That's such a seductive message. I want to buy the book that says you can have it all. But that's just not the reality that we face. So I would rather write the book that says, let's make better decisions and choices about where we're going to spend our time so that ultimately we're really pleased at the end. Not that we've been, you know, the most efficient or productive person, because you're – Everybody listening to this is probably already pretty efficient and productive. The only question is, doing what? 
And if, you know, if, if you're doing all of the right things, that's great. If you're not, then you need to be more intentional about which things you're saying no thank you to. Your book is broken down into four major parts. Uh, the first part is I called hit the pause button. You call it hover above your world. Uh, tell our audience why you feel you started with that in terms of taking a time out and figuring out where you're at. You know, it's actually an interesting question, uh, Jim, because I think part of why I started there is because that's where I started, meaning for myself. I started in a process of saying, hold on, I've got to pause, I've got to stop and think about what's working and what's not working. So that was my process, and I wanted to share my process. But I also think the process is the right process, which is it's very hard to backpedal when you're pedaling forward really fast. It's very hard to backpedal without slowing down your forward momentum first. And we don't end up having to land in a completely different place than we currently are. A lot of the changes that we're going to make are subtle and, and maybe mostly observable to ourselves more than anyone else, but they are massive changes in terms of where our focus is. So we're still going to look busy. We're still going to have a lot to do. But the things that we're working on are different. And, you know, the, in order to make that shift, you, you know, it's that, that metaphor, I'm sure overused, that, you know, changing the tires on a car while the car's moving. Well, it's sort of a great metaphor for how busy we all are, but you can't actually change the tires on a car while the car's moving. I mean, you just, you just can't do it, I mean, unless I'm missing something. So, you, you, you know, it's, it's very hard not to take a deep breath and, and slow down a little bit and then be able to ask yourself a couple of questions that will help you to, to sort of rev up your engine and start moving again. And one of those questions, it goes into the second part of your book. <clears throat> one of those questions goes into the second part of your book, and the question is, what is this year about? And I thought that was a, it's such an obvious question. But too often we work with companies that have these great five- or three-year strategic plans, and sometimes we don't slow down enough to say, over the next 365 days, what do we want to accomplish in this year? So what is your insight or your trick for getting us focused on what this year is about? Um, So if I'm allowed to... um Uh, make a quick plug, too, because I've I've never done this before, but I've agreed to do a workshop at Kripalu, which is a retreat center in the Berkshires. Um, It's a two-day workshop uh, on sort of in January on starting your year off right and and focusing on that. So I just, you know, you kind of reminded me of that when you said that, and and, uh, um, it, it goes along with the answer that I'm about to give you, which is, what is your life about is a huge question, and I've never really been able to answer it very well. And I don't know very many people who can answer it well, except in retrospect, meaning when, please God, we're all old in our 80s and 90s, and we're able to look back at our lives, we'll be able to say, oh, you know what, that's what my life is about. But while it's happening, it's a little hard to tell. But uh, And if you can, if you know exactly what your life is about, what your mission in life is, great. More power to you, and that's great. But for those of us that, you know, you know, that I've seen my life take lots of different turns and I kind of roll with it, then I think a year is the right amount of time to really think about what is it that I want to focus on. It's doable. We think in terms of year. We have New Year's parties. We have ways of, 
of kind of segmenting out our lives and our time to say, you know, what's happening a year. It's digestible a year. And, you know, and, and if we don't do a year, then we're too short-term focused. I think if we're just saying what is my day about, then that's not enough because you don't know what you're, you know, you're not strategic or intentional about what you're trying to um, uh, direct all those days towards. So a year seems like the right amount of time. And it's also a way of saying not even what goals do I want to accomplish, but where do I want to focus my time? I'm, I'm a big proponent of a limited number of things, as you might imagine from, from the conversation so far, so, and the book. So I, I believe in about five things. You know, it could be four, it could be six. I wouldn't make it ten. Five areas that I really want to spend the majority of my time. I could tell you what mine are. And by the way, the reason I can tell you what mine are now, and it's well, well, well towards the end of the year, is that I don't just write these as a New Year's resolution. There's a process to getting there. And then I focus on, I create a certain kind of to-do list that forces me to look at these every day. I'll explain that in a second. So for me, my five top areas of focus are do great work with current clients, grow my business, speak and write about my ideas, uh, develop a leadership school that I've been working on. That's the hardest to focus on, and I'll explain why in a second, and nurture myself and my family. And, and I, I came up with those. That's what I'm going to do in this workshop in part is help people come up with what are those five things. But I came up with those, and then – I create a to-do list, and my to-do list is what I call the six-box to-do list. And that to-do list, in each one of those six boxes, there's a label. And the first five boxes are labeled in those top five things. Do great work with my current clients, grow my business, etc. The sixth box is called the other 5%. And that's where I put everything that doesn't fit into my areas of focus. This is the to-do list I keep. When I first started keeping this to-do list, Everything I was doing was fitting into the other 5%. Everything I was spending my time on was a distraction from the things that were most important to me. This forces me to channel the things I'm doing into a box, and I can visibly look at it and say, am I spending my time where I should be spending my time? Or am I distracting myself from the things that are most important to me? Within a couple of days of using a to-do list like this, I started to align my day-to-day actions in the areas that I most wanted to focus on in the year. And doing that every single day means that now, well into the year, I look back on those things and I say, you know what, I've actually spent a majority of my focus on the things that were most important to me. That's great. Um, Now, the reason I said the leadership school is the hardest, each one of those boxes means something to me. Working, doing great work with my current client is current revenue, and it's the work that I have to do right now. Growing my business is short-term growth. Speaking and writing about my ideas is all about my thought leadership, and it's happening now, and I need to continue to develop it. But it's, So it's both now and in the future. Developing the leadership school is a tough one because it represents those projects that each one of us as leaders, as entrepreneurs, have in our heads that will not pay off this year. There's nothing that's going to happen this year that's going to pay off. My leadership school will not be up and running. I will not be bringing in revenue this year from a leadership school. That is going to be, you know, as it turns out, because I have focused on it, it's actually starting next year, right? But, and it's client-specific. It's, 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 it's not a public, not like that workshop I was talking about. It's a, it's a private, um, uh, I'm, I'm working with individual clients on leadership in their businesses. But 
I never would have gotten this far on it if I didn't have that as a box. But it's hard to focus on because I don't see the results today, tomorrow, or this year. And yet, if I don't begin to articulate and list and work on tasks that are aligned with this pipe dream, it always stays a pipe dream and never actually becomes a business. Um, and nurture myself and my family is all about not doing anything, just being a certain way. I've always felt like I should have one thing that, you know, is represented by actions, but much more, much less about my own growth and what much more about my own kind of being in a life I want to be in and supporting the people around me who I love, who I want to support and be supported by. Our guest is Peter Bringman. We're talking about his book, 18 Minutes, Find Your Focus, Master Distraction, and Get the Right Things Done. Peter, I think you're bringing a lot of insight into this topic for our audience, and I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, there's another piece to it, which is kind of interesting. So one of the analogies I use is a buffet, right? Because I have a buffet problem. I go to a buffet, and I bring back 10 plates of food that um, all look really great to me, and then I leave the table overstuffed, uh, uncomfortable, and, uh, and actually probably underfed because the stuff I eat is not particularly healthy. And... Um, and the reason for that is because what I want to do in the moment is different than what I want to have done by the end of the day. What I want to eat in the moment is different than what I want to have eaten by the end of the meal. And um, it's very hard to do that. And the brilliance of this guy, right, that you were talking about who has his five things, is because if I bring ten plates back from a buffet, I can guarantee you that some of the right foods will be in that mix. I'm smart enough to make sure I have some salads, some vegetables, some lean protein, some you know healthy whole grains. I know that. But those things will be included in a mass amount of foods, much of which is really, really bad for me. And if I come back to the table, I could legitimately say, hey, I've got the right things to eat here, but I have so many of the wrong things to eat that the chances are that when I leave the table, those right things, because they aren't what I want to eat in the moment, right, because they're not as tasty as a brownie or a cookie, that those things will remain on the table, and the things I will have eaten were the things that were the tastiest but not the best for me. And it's the same things with our to-do list. We actually have to take things off of our to-do list because otherwise, if the important things are hidden in a mass of other things, chances are that the things that are most important to us to get done are the things that are most challenging to us, both actually and psychologically, and we'll probably spend our time on the cookies and the brownies and not on the broccoli. And I think that's an excellent metaphor. But you also mentioned in your book what I thought was interesting, you talk about the motivation, and you say uh, we need less motivation than we actually think we need. Yeah, you know, we, we only need motivation for a very short time. I'm not a huge believer in motivation. Um, it, when someone, I bristle when someone says I'm a motivational speaking. I do a lot of speaking. But when someone says I'm a motivational speaker, I kind of bristle because I don't actually think motivation lasts very long. The nice thing is that if you use it properly, you actually don't need it for very long. So, for example, if I need the motivation to do exercise, Right? And that means I need the motivation to 
get up in the morning to put on my running clothes or get my gym back together and get to the gym and get on a machine or get outside and do the running and, or go in the pool and, you know, get into that cold water and start my laps. Um, that, you would think, if I do that every single day, it requires a lot of motivation. I've got to be really, really motivated and disciplined to do that. But in fact, if you actually think about what part of that requires motivation, the only part is putting the running sneakers on or actually slipping into that pool. That's all that you need. I've never slipped into a pool, taken four strokes, and said, ah, you know, I'm just not motivated to do this, and then gotten out and walked away. By the time you get your sneakers on and you get outside and you start running around the park, you're not going to take ten steps and go, ah, I'm not into this so much. Forget it. I'm going to do a minute of running instead of 30 minutes of running. No, once you're out there, momentum has taken over. What you need motivation for is to change your momentum. Once you've changed your momentum, then momentum takes over. So, in fact, you only need motivation for that one little uh, the, the traction to change your trajectory. And if you realize that, then it becomes easier to change your trajectory because all you do is you say, the most important thing I have to do in the morning is put my running sneakers on. If I put my running sneakers on, that increases the chance I'm going to go running by 90%. So I'm just going to put my running sneakers on, and I'm going to step outside the house, and then I'm going to take 10 steps, right? And then I'm going to ask myself whether I want to go running. I can guarantee you that your answer will be yes, I'm going to go running. You talk in your in your book about um, uh, mastering dis- distraction, and, and gosh, there seems to be enough of these of these days. So, uh, what is the trick to getting the distraction away, especially in the workplace where you have a pipeline to the world now? It used to be your typewriter wasn't connected to something, uh, but boy, now your computer is. There's plenty of places to go and be distracted. Plus, there's plenty of other fires it seems to be put out. So what's your key yeah, to I, avoiding the distraction? I've just, in, I've just invested in a typewriter company because I think everyone's going to go back to typewriters. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm, everyone who thinks I had business sense now is hanging, you know, is, is turning <laughs> off their podcast and turning off their radio. Um, no, I think you're absolutely right. There has never been a time when it is so easy to be distracted. And and your analogy to a typewriter is fantastic. It's great because it's true. When we had a typewriter, it wasn't connected to movies and television and YouTube videos and email. Email is the worst. Email is the worst because, you know, not for the reason people think, right, because you have 100 emails and you have to get through it. Email is the worst because it is a legitimate work way to distract yourself. It's like, yeah, no, I, I spend all, you know, I, I'm, I'm working on a, a piece that's really hard. I'm writing a proposal. I'm doing whatever. And then I go, I, I hit a hard point, and that's the point where, I, you know, I really need to sort of sit with it and, and try to work through that hard point. But instead I go, you know, I'll just go check my email. And, and I can justify it by saying, no, 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 that's work. That's work. Emails work, right? And, and I avoid the more important things. And so, you know, the um, – the, the challenging piece is to uh, create an environment where it is much less likely that you will end up doing those things that um, are distracting to you. And don't rely on motivation for it, right? That's the wrong thing to rely on. What you want to do instead is you want to 
create an environment that makes it more likely you're going to do the things you want to do. How do I solve my buffet problem? I go to the buffet. I allow myself one salad plate. I go in. I put whatever I can fit onto that salad plate. So I'm forcing myself into certain decisions, and then I go back and I eat that salad plate and I'm done. You, you, you know, if you, um, if you have a candy bowl on your desk, you are, I don't know what the exact figure is, ten times more likely to eat it than if it's six feet away from you, right, if it's just six feet away from you. So you create an environment. So, you know, how do we do that for the distractions that you're talking about? When I really have a piece to write, I have a laptop and a big screen. When I have a, yeah, that my laptop is hooked up to, when I have a piece that I need to write, I will unplug my laptop, I will go somewhere, I will turn off the Internet. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm really having trouble focusing, I'll actually turn off the Internet for the, for the, you know, for the house because I'm working in my house right now. But if not, I'll just very easily shut off my Wi-Fi, and I will only have one program open at a time, and I'll give myself a certain amount of time, and, and then I'll go uh, and I'll work for that period of time. And I'm going to make it much more difficult for me to get distracted. If I'm going to distract myself, I have to physically go to either plug in the Wi-Fi or even if I'm just using my laptop, I've got to turn the Wi-Fi back on. And that deliberate action is such an admission of the fact that I'm about to distract myself that I rarely do it. So it's about making it more difficult for you to do the things that you know are distractions. Eliminate your options. Yeah. In your book, I love this title, so I'll, I'll just put the chapter. The sections under Mastering Yourself, you have a chapter that says, would you smoke pot while you're working? In other words, avoiding the switch tasking. Someone said the other day, told me, he says, you know, Jim, multitasking is a myth, and you allude to that in your book, but yet we, we talk about that in work, that, well, I'm multitasking, I'm doing this and doing that. Now, what is the it's myth behind it? So, so, so let's actually, um, let's, let's, let's do an experiment, which will be fun. And, okay. and uh, everyone listening can do it themselves, and, and Jim, you can do it with me. Um, count from 1 to 10 as fast as you can, out loud. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. All right, maybe two, two to three seconds. Um, now go from A to J as fast as you can. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J. All right, about the same amount of time. Now, do this. Do 1A, 2B, 3C, 4D. 1A, 2B, 3C, 4D, E, F, whatever. All right, that's my <laughs> point. So, <laughs> don't feel bad. Nobody could do it, right? And not only can nobody do it, you could eventually do it, but it's going to take ten times as long because your brain is very quickly switching, is shifting from numbers to letters, right? And even though you know your numbers and letters cold, right, you've, you've gone from A to J and 1 to 10 billions of times in your life, that when you try to intersperse them, which is the simplest of all tasks, you can't do it, and it takes you because you have to switch in your head from one frame to another frame. And that's what happens to us in multitasking, but in much more complicated ways. So when you're doing email and you're on a meeting at the same time and you're in a meeting at the same time, you're not actually doing both. So you're missing information. You're having to catch up. You're sending out wrong emails. And when you're switching back and forth to stuff, even if you go from something you're writing to your email, you're um, having to get your head back into that space again. And what happens when you do that is that you're wasting a tremendous amount of time in the process. Peter, uh, your book is wonderful in terms of the chapters and the short advice. And at the same time, 
you do some leadership consulting. And, and what is the number one issue that leaders are facing today? You know, that's a really interesting question, and I should have a pat answer for it. Um, but I don't. Um, I think it's because, you know, the leaders that I work with, it's so personal. I mean, they have such different issues. So I could tell you that one leader, there's an organization that I've been working with for five or six years, and we've gone from 400 million of revenue to close to a billion now, and the stock price has tripled. And the things that this CEO has has managed and struggled with and, and worked through have been different at every stage because what you need in order to um, manage, you know, a company four hundred million is different than what you need to manage a company at uh, uh, at, at eight hundred million. And it's the same thing for a company, for example, that I'm working with, where it's a fifteen million dollar company. It's a much smaller company, but they were in the process of a merger. And what what they needed to do to run the business versus make a successful merger was also very different. The the um, but I would say that you know, given that caveat that probably the most important job of leaders and the one that they often struggle with the most is not how do I get myself focused only, but how do I focus the organization? How do I make sure that everyone who's working in this company cares about and works towards, in the way that I need them to, the same things that I'm caring about and working towards? That's hard because it's not as simple as telling them. I mean, most leaders I know would love to just be able to say something and then have the ship turn. And, in fact, that's not what ends up happening. And the challenge of, of inspiring, of getting people to follow you and to shift how they're doing things in order to come into alignment with where you're trying to move the organization, um, that's a real challenging thing. And sometimes that looks like, politics, right, people who are actively, depending on where you are in the organization, people who are actively trying to um, um, uh, uh, get you off track and, and uh, you know, maybe even uh, just sort of politically trying to get you to exit the organization out of the company. And, and I've seen that at very, very senior levels. You know, it's kind of because you're managing the board and you're managing politics. Um, but uh, it's also the people who report to you. You know, you think the people who report to you have to do what you tell them to do. It doesn't actually work like that in real life. So sometimes it looks like politics. Sometimes it looks like emotional uh, engagement. Sometimes it looks like um, helping them to make smart decisions. Uh, it looks differently for each company, but probably the most important thing is how do I get a group of people to move forward in the way that I need them to move forward to accomplish the objectives I'm setting out for the company. Our guest is Peter Bregman. The book is 18 Minutes, Find Your Focus, Master Distraction, and Get the Right Things Done. Peter, is there one question I should have asked you today that I haven't? Um, you've asked me some great questions. Um, and, I think, and I think we've sort of spoken about the most important things. I think there's a lot more in the book, obviously, in terms of, you know, I would still jump in and say you don't want to use your to-do list as your operating document. You want to use your calendar. Um, if you decide when and where you're going to do something, you're much more likely. There's lots of other little things like that that are in the book. But I think you've really touched on the most important things. You know, the, the, ultimately as leaders, we have to ask the question, 
not only what is am I, what am I trying to accomplish, but who am I, what do I stand for, and 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 how am I, how do what kind of impact do I want to have on myself, on the people around me, on my organization, and on the world. And starting from that place, you could be incredibly powerful and effective. Um, not doing that, but but working on the sort of day to day. Uh, ends up getting us in a lot of uh, trouble. And what I mean by a lot of trouble isn't even doing things uh, poorly or incorrectly. What I mean by a lot of trouble is just not uh, doing the stuff that's most important to us. And, and that's, you know, it's a terrible thing to come to the end of your life and say, you know what, I, I, didn't, just, I didn't use that time well. So, you know, in my view, that's the most important place to be, to, to ask ourselves, are we being the people that we want to be and are we doing the things that we want to be doing? Good insight. Peter, people want to learn more about you and your company. Where would they go? Um, the best place to go is peterbregman.com, P-E-T-E-R-B-R-E-G-M-A-N.com. Peter, thanks for being on the program. Jim, thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure talking with you. This or other BizTalk podcasts may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at biztalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.